guys. This episode is a really different vibe than any of the episodes thus far, and it's also really different from anything I've ever put out before. But it's based on an idea that I've had for a long time and based on something I absolutely do and think about in my spare time. So I just invited a few friends along to think about with me and talk about with me stuff that I tend to do for fun and creating a little project out of it and sharing it with you all. So this episode is the first in what is intended to be a four-part series, also the first one with guests. Exciting. I'm sort of thinking about this series as like a Maya Games Inception because this podcast in general is me just providing my personal commentary on the Maya games, aka the movie of the Maya, aka reality as I experience it in my personal life and as I observe it on the collective front. And these four episodes are sort of a panel discussion on one of the movies of the Maya inside of the movies of the Maya. So we're going to be discussing a reality TV show, season six of Love is Blind, inside of the reality TV show that is life, a.k.a. the movie of the Maya. So Maya Games Inception. My soft, flexible, light intention in sharing these conversations with you is basically just to provide a fun example of differentiation as it shows up in people's perception of and conceptualization around watching the same thing. So I'm calling this series Love is View, obviously playing on the title Love is Blind a little bit, but because although you'll hear lots of different components of the designs of people who join these discussions, come out the one that kind of inspired the idea and the one that I'm most directly focusing on is the part of human design that is personality node color which we refer to in human design as our perspective or our view so the idea is basically and this is all based on my own experience and things I noticed as I would talk about different reality tv shows with friends we all see different things We don't see the same thing when we watch the same thing. And then on top of seeing different things, we also conceptualize things differently. And um, I suppose what I'm referring to in this case is motivation. So I'll have everybody on the shows share the basics of their human design, including their profile, their aura type, um, authority, I think I have people say, and definitely their view and their motivation. But we talk most directly about Uh, view at least sometimes we kind of talk about everything and view is the idea behind it what do you see when you watch this scenario play out what do you see in this person what do you see in this clip what do you see in this relationship dynamic the nature of the conversations is kind of light-hearted we're really just like talking about the episodes as they drop so this first segment is about episodes one through six of season six and we'll be back in a week with our commentary on the next drop and While the dynamics within this show and maybe even more so the existence of a show like this in general create a lot of room for some pretty like critical and deep conversation, some of that critical and deep conversation will come like organically come through at points because everybody on this show are people who like think critically about and observe the mechanics of reality and life and relationship and energy quite 
naturally, like it's a part of how we all see and think. I just want to point out that like the nature of the intention of these conversations really is lighthearted and innocent per my innocent motivation. It's just for fun. Um, I talk to friends about these shows sometimes we trade thoughts and while a lot of times we see similar things it's also really interesting it's also been really interesting for me to see how differently people take in the same scene or the same feature of of a relationship so I just wanted to share that with people as an example of like these fragmented prismatic differentiations of our perceptions of reality in real life so this series is definitely not for everyone. Um, this might be, you know, four episodes that you just skip over, even if you typically listen to everything on the Maya games. But yeah, maybe it's for you. Uh, if you, I guess it's specifically for people who enjoy watching Love is Blind and also have some human design awareness. So those of us that belong to both geekdoms, LIB and HD, maybe you're into love is blind but not human design in which case i think you'd still enjoy this commentary like the human design commentary is sort of in the background we reference it sometimes um but mostly it's about it's to me what's interesting is if you do know human design knowing the perspective the view and other elements of people's design as you're listening to them talk about what they see and maybe you're into human design but not love is blind but perhaps this is a good reason for you to take up a little bit of reality tv to just enjoy watching a little bit of trash reality tv i personally find reality tv to be like a really lovely outlet for the part of me that does like to constantly kind of psychoanalyze <laughs> reality and patterns and relationship dynamics it's kind of uh doesn't feel it's like i get to kind of work through the kinks of the maya without having to do the heavy lifting of working them out in my own body and <laughs> my own awareness. So uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the experience of watching Love is Blind. I'll leave it at that. On this first episode, you're going to hear from Dorothy Gepner, an MG with Survival View, Allison Forseth, a projector with Possibility View, Amanda Prichel, a reflector with Probability View, and me, a manifester with Power View. So I accidentally cast all four aura types on this episode. That was not intentional. I had been kind of foreseeing possibility and probability view as uh, perspectives that I wanted to incorporate on the first, if not most of the episodes, because I just think they're really interesting perspectives when it comes to something like a dating show, like what's possible between these couples? What's more likely between these couples? I obviously going to be included on it because I'm initiating it and setting it up and it's my podcast but I do find power view to be an interesting uh, it's the only version that I get to have of the experience of watching reality tv but I notice watching dating reality tv that my power view is like I I I tend to be very aware of my power view when I'm watching these types of shows and especially when I'm talking to others about what I see on these shows because my power view really sees a lot of like you know, the power balance or power imbalance in different relationships and the different kind of agendas. Like for those of you who are human design literate, power view is associated with third color and third color on the motivation side is called desire. So sometimes I feel like with my power view, I can seeing in third color means I can see what people desire. I can kind of see the different agendas in relationships and in relational transactions. Um, so yeah, we've got survival view, 
possibility view, so one and two, power view, third color, three, and uh, probability view, fifth color on this first episode. And we'll be sure to have fourth color, wanting view, and personal view, sixth color on at least one future episode. And like I said, of course, we see things and we experience things and we conceptualize things in infinitely differentiated ways beyond just the one dimension of our designs, which is this personality node color, aka perspective or view. All of the components of our design, as well as our conditioning and our different personal histories, there's so much that goes into affecting what we see and how we make sense of what we see. And we'll comment on some of this other stuff throughout the conversation as well. Um, but view or perspective was just sort of the co the idea that all of this coalesced around. And that's the differentiated aspect of design that I'm trying to have represented. I'm trying to have all six views represented throughout this series. So yeah, enjoy this first conversation, which also just happens. We're lucky. We also just happen to have a cast of all four aura types. So you get to hear from an MG reflector, projector, and manifester in this episode too. Hope you have fun listening along. And as always, let us know what you thought. Leave a comment in the question box on Spotify. Leave a review. Tag me or the Maya games on social media. And I'll leave social media handles and info for all the guests in the show notes. Peace. Yeah, does everyone want to share your name, your design, making sure you include your view, and then if there's anything else that feels relevant to how you want to introduce yourself, do it. I'm Kelsey. Uh, I'm a 5'2 emotional manifester, and my view is power view, innocence motivation. I'll probably reference that at some point as well, so I'll share that. Um, and yeah, I don't think I'm going to share anything more because if I do, I'm just going to start jumping into like context for this idea, which I will have already recorded in an intro. So I'll leave it at that for me. I'm Dorothy. I'm a 2-4 manifesting generator and I have survival view. So I'm thinking all about like safety the whole time and just kind of like what is safe and like who is safe and like all of that. It's just like nervous curiosity at all times, <laughs> just like looking at the environment. And um, besides that, I'm also an artist and a lover of Love is Blind. I might be the only person that is like hopeful and happy at this part of the season in this group. But I feel like that's what like Love is Blind always gets me going for is like the first six episodes. I'm like, love is beautiful. Love is great. I've bought in. And then we'll see what happens. I'm really excited about survival view because I think it's one of the views that I like don't super understand yet even though my partner has it so I'm like thinking about it a lot um, and yeah I, I think you and I when we do talk about love is blind we do tend to see different things so I'm excited yeah. for that also for the record I'm in a pretty optimistic place about this season myself oh, Amazing, but I can't remember with season five which I thought was like one of the worst ones <laughs> I can't remember if I like at what point I realized it was a total train wreck you know I, it might have I feel like it was early on and I feel like I've got some hopes with at least a few couples this season so we'll see all right um Amanda you want to go next hi I'm Amanda I'm a 2-4 reflector I have probability view 
and hope motivation. Uh, those two are usually very interesting together. Um, I have watched all of the seasons of Love is Blind. And with each passing season, I feel like the conditioning that we have, like the social conditioning that we have around relationships just gets like more and more glaringly obvious to me. And I'm like in this space right now, just personally of like, what do relationships mean? And so when I'm hearing all of this, like, is love blind? I'm like, well, is love getting married in one month or is love like, (laughs) does love have to equal marriage? Like I'm, I'm in a space of, um, just like, that's kind of all I can see. Um, and then zooming in a little bit more, looking at the couples is, is interesting. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's the Maya, you know, we're just watching the Maya in action. But I think like just like within our own lives, even though we're all living in the Maya constantly and taking our little trips in and out of awareness within it, there's still like pieces of truth that show up, you know, that's one of the things that I enjoy about watching is like my own process of kind of sorting out and pondering like which aspects of their relating and connecting are real and which aspects are just like purely based on their homogenized ideas about what love should be. Anyways, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about (laughs) all of those things. Allison, you want to say hey? Sure. Hello, I'm Allison. I am a 5'1 emotional projector with possibility view and hope motivation. Um, so opposite view from Amanda, but same motivation. And I'm not a diehard Love is Blind fan. I love reality TV as much as the next person, but this is only the second season that I've watched. So I watched season one and then I jumped to season six this weekend. So I've told Allison, Dorothy and Amanda a couple of times that when I, I've had this idea for a long time, but when I started to think about... Um, which views would be fun to feature on a first episode because ultimately I'm hoping to have all the views represented at some point. I was really excited specifically about probability and possibility just for the sake of like, okay, we've got the full setup, what's possible, what's probable. So maybe we'll make some predictions, power view predictions, survival view, who survives predictions, (laughs) who will be the sole survivor. Um, possibility view and and probability view predictions at the end. Um, Yeah. Okay, so let's jump in. Uh, At this point in the series, we've seen the first drop of episodes. So we've seen episode one through six. And I think it's like the end of, at some point in five, I think is where all the engagements have happened. And then in five and six, we get to see the start of the honeymoon. And it kind of seems like the next episode which we haven't seen yet. Episode seven will probably be more honeymoon and then going home. That's my, I don't have a sense that the honeymoons are over. So I think we're like mid honeymoon where we are right now. And we have five couples. I'll list them and then think about if anybody gets excited about digging into one first, as I list them, tell me, because I don't necessarily know where we're going to start here, but we'll go kind of couple by couple and just talk about what we're seeing. So we've got 
The one who I think has probably gotten the most airtime, Chelsea and Jimmy. Lots of drama surrounding that one. Um, and then AD and Clay, probably second most airtime. Jeremy and Laura got a lot of airtime for Honeymoon, but I didn't feel like I knew really anything about them pre-Honeymoon. And then um, Kenneth and Brittany and Amy and Johnny. And both Kenneth and Brittany and Amy and Johnny, I also feel like I don't really know you guys yet, but I have some some sense of vibes. So, yeah, where should we dig in? Where should we go first? Is it like starting with like dessert before dinner if we do Chelsea and Jimmy? Because <laughs> there's just so much to say, and I feel like how can we not start with them? Yeah, you know, it kind of feels like if we don't start with them, there's just gonna be an elephant in the room. Like that's exactly. the, that's the seal to be broken. So yeah, good idea. Let's go there. All right, Chelsea and Jimmy. Chelsea, thirty-one, flight attendant and event planner. Jimmy, twenty-eight, sophomore sales. I'm feeling called to just start with like first impressions of these people, because I noticed with Jimmy at least. I had no, like, I was very neutral about him until things started to get kind of, like, spicy when it was time to choose his person, quote. So, yeah, like, looking back is kind of interesting because I remember, well, okay, right, with Chelsea and Jimmy, we're going to end up talking about Trevor and Jessica, too, right? Because there was, like, a love square but not quite square with them because Jimmy was I don't even know how to phrase this because it's so stupid but Jimmy was choosing between (laughs) Chelsea and Jessica and Chelsea was choosing between Trevor and Jimmy and I messaged Dorothy at one point when I knew Dorothy was all the way through episode six and I was still early on and I was like I really like Jess and Jimmy they're so cute like that that one can work I like liked the vibe between them And then I think the very next message I sent Dorothy was, I like Chelsea and Trevor too. So I was rooting for the opposites of what ended up happening. But now that I've seen the Chelsea Jimmy stuff, Jimmy's definite like, sometimes I like to say pink flag to give people benefits of doubt, but Jimmy's a little beyond that for me at this point. But I wasn't picking up on that at all at the beginning. Like at the beginning to me, he was just a very neutral guy and the whole context that I was understanding him through was like that he just seemed like an interesting and maybe good match for Jess because they were both like very passionate about family and I can't really remember what it was I saw but I liked him at first and then I don't really remember my first impressions of Chelsea very much I don't think I paid super close attention to her till the end so I feel like I similarly also was rooting for Jimmy and Jessica and Chelsea and Trevor in the beginning and like Jimmy, to me, in the beginning, he just had, like, a goofy guy energy, and he was, like, if you, like, watch it back, he's, like, so into Jessica in the beginning. Like, in the very early stages, he is, like, so, like, like into her. She literally calls him Jimmy with the juice, and you see him, and he's, like, this goofy-looking guy, and he's got her calling him Jimmy with the juice. And then as soon as she says she has a kid, you see the fear in his eyes, and he then goes oh, it's okay. It's fine. But you can see in his eyes, it's not fine. And then his behavior completely switches to Chelsea. And that was like a big like change I saw. And then I felt like the rest of his kind of arc, at least up until he like chooses Chelsea, it was like him people pleasing, like in that open solar plexus way of being like, I have to like kind of take care of you. And I also am feeling everyone's feelings. And I'm so overwhelmed by this whole situation. And I think like, 
Jessica felt that and that's why she kept like picking fights and like getting angry with him. I have so much to say about this whole couple. If anyone else wants to jump in, I don't want to like, I could talk about this whole couple all by myself for like 20 minutes. Yeah, that reminded me that like Jimmy and Chelsea didn't even feel like a possibility until yeah. after Jess's speech about right. EpiPens. <laughs> At least from from what I saw. I feel like Jimmy is very easily overwhelmed and like he was very um yeah like he just kept getting really overwhelmed by everything and he didn't have enough time to process what he was like feeling thinking and so he was having these like you could see him having these like visceral reactions to all of these things like as the like episodes were progressing but then he immediately was like well I have to be on so he like kept sweeping like his overwhelm under the rug and then just being being like oh I'm cool I'm cool with you having a kid I'm cool with you being divorced um because he had a similar reaction to Chelsea being divorced like you could see like his body language was really similar and then he even told her something like well I'm just getting hit with a lot today and like, you, you know, you should be more understanding or something. Like, he was kind of like, I'm just really overwhelmed. And he was trying to, like, communicate that. But they were both kind of, like, not okay after their admissions. Like, Jess was not okay after Jimmy, like, needed time. And Chelsea, like, I think she was started, like, she's like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And she, like, cried and, like, ran out of the room after she told him that she was divorced. And then I think because, like, of the people-pleasing thing that you mentioned, Dorothy, like, he just was like, oh, they have those reactions. Now I have to, like, make it so that they don't have reactions anymore. And it just got really, like, convoluted and weird. And he couldn't – he got in his head about things instead of just, like, processing and actually – yeah, I, I mean, he, I, he simply just didn't have enough time. He's probably, like – either emotional or you know needs to process like a pro some kind of process-based authority where he just couldn't do that there was not enough time <laughs> yeah yeah I was thinking about bringing up the same thing about um the divorce news and the child news because he handled one of them okay and then the second one was just like way over capacity for him um I took some notes during these episodes and like some of the words I wrote down for Jimmy were like, he's lying. Um, and I feel like you guys have phrased it better that he was on the spot and didn't have time to process that he's sort of like fawning or people pleasing. But yeah, I wrote down that he was lying. And then when we like progress further on, like he, he also says the wrong name when he's talking about the person that he chose, like he says the wrong name. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I feel like he kind of was, like, put in this position where he wasn't really okay with the divorce or the child, and he sort of picked what felt like the lesser of two things that he perceived as a problem. The lying thing, the way that I wrote that down was that Jimmy calls himself out by saying the opposite of what he's feeling and doing and thinking. So he literally – and Matthew does it too. I have an example of when Matthew was doing that with A.D., 
like yeah he'll just and he does it a lot later too like once they meet once Jimmy and Chelsea meet and he clearly is like having like physical attraction doubt that hasn't come out explicitly yet but you can tell because he says no yeah looks don't even matter like that's like one of the first five things he says to her face is like looks don't matter and then the combo of Chelsea like constantly needing reassurance once they meet and him like constantly giving reassurance but in a way that is like you're saying Allison lying or you know I'm perceiving he's like all he can think about is that it's a bad situation and he doesn't want her to know so he just like tries to beat himself by saying literally what I think is literally the opposite of what he's thinking a lot of the time yeah it's exactly a lie it is a lie yeah, that's what people pleasing is. It's lying, but it's like lying because you've been conditioned to lie for like XYZ reasons. It almost it always feels like he has this idea of what the right thing to say is. Yes, yes. But he's not feeling that way at all. So he tries to stumble through like the quote unquote good guy right thing to say, but he doesn't feel it. So he just comes across sounding like He's lying like to to see someone and hear the first time that your partner sees you. Well, looks don't matter. It's like, okay, well, clearly they do because it's the first thing you said. And then when they're all on the beach at the honeymoon. I I was going to say like Chelsea's half of it, like from my perspective on like why she's okay with that. But if you have something like to add about Jimmy, then you can feel free to. Uh, I was just on the same. I just saw another example in my notes of like the him just saying the opposite of what he's feeling. And at one point, like at the honeymoon on the beach, when they're all comparing notes for the first time, when they're back as a group, he keeps saying to the guys, like, everything's so natural for me. He uses the word phenomenal. He says, my relationship is smoother than anyone's. And it's just like, it's the people pleasing. It's the lying. But he, I can't tell yet how conscious he is that that's what he's doing is that he's just like trying to beat his insecurities by lying about them because like no one it, we never know what's happening with the editing but it seems like nobody's even a- like asking like it seems like some of this feedback is coming unsolicited and he's just like word vomiting the opposite <laughs> of his feelings you know i want jimmy to just ask for some space like just to ask for five minutes because i think if he just asked for five minutes to breathe so much would be different Like, everything would be different, I think. I don't think Chelsea would allow that because she's so anxious about him. I think that she's picking up on something real uh, that he's not into her. (laughs) And he's faking it and lying. And it is triggering her, you know, whatever we want to call it, anxious attachment which then obviously pushes him away more because she's like, you know, it's that cycle of like when you get kind of like panicked and you're like, oh, I just need you to understand like, you know, one thing will happen and then everything kind of blows up, which we saw at sort of the, when they were all together in the group, um, the aftermath of that. But I also feel like Chelsea, um, I think they, to me, they like magnetize to each other because they were both like, they're both kind of doing the same thing. They're both kind of lying about things. Like I think in the pods, Chelsea was like, yeah, I'm this, I'm that, I'm confident. And also I look like Megan Fox. (laughs) And then you could see Jimmy be like, whoa, marry me right now. 
So immediately he's got this fantasy in his head of she has no children. She is a childless Megan Fox like creature. And I will now create this fantasy, which she obviously can't live up to. She kind of, I mean, I don't know why, like, I, I would never compare myself to Megan Fox sight unseen and then like show up and be like, yeah, so what do you think? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're really setting yourself up for a <laughs> letdown of an experience if you're going to do that, no, no matter what you look like in most cases. I felt like she was so clear that it was just because of the eyes and hair combo. Like, I feel like she said it like four times. Um, like she patted it. Like And she said someone else said it. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Allison, actually, because I don't know if anybody else here goes on Reddit. But I see like the Love is Blind subreddit stuff. and But people were like all over her about the Megan Fox comment. And I did see some of that before I saw the scene. And once I saw the scene, I was like... Yeah, she's not trying to say she looks like Megan Fox. And I do see it, like, in her eyes a little bit. So I thought at least the general public was too hard on her for that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, also, well, what you expect. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. I, I disagree. I think she was being super manipulative because she felt like I, – I, you could – I feel like she's quite insecure and she felt like she had competition in Jessica and she was looking at Jessica and she was like, and she said like throughout the first six episodes, she's constantly saying little things that are like, yeah, I'm not chosen. I get cheated on a lot. I, um, I don't get chosen. They choose like the prettier girl. They choose the, the more petite girl. She says these comments often because she asked the question. She initiated this conversation. Do you ever get told you look like any celebrities? I get told I look like Megan Fox. Like, oh, I, she couldn't even re- remember her name, but who knows? I mean, I don't know, maybe some people. But she was like, yeah, I don't know what her name is. Machine Gun Kelly's girlfriend. So manipulative. I th- Interesting. I think it was intentional, manipulative. And I don't, again, what level of conscious awareness are these things coming out? I don't know. They're always drinking. They're always like... yeah editing whatever but (laughs) um not to belabor the Megan Fox conversation but Chelsea also has a tattoo in the same style and place as Megan Fox on her shoulder the like Megan Fox has a quote tattooed on her shoulder like that um so I thought that was very interesting oh that's that's a big observation did you possibility Allison that that was a coincidence or the possibility that that was intentional (laughs) i mean i just thought it was interesting i I was like wait a second doesn't megan fox have that tattoo i looked up the picture but um i don't know i felt like she was being clear about not trying to get this guy's hopes up but i definitely hear where amanda's coming from because she did in fact create the situation in which celebrities were being discussed yeah totally with Chelsea, the other aspect I saw of it, like, because I think it's interesting hearing, like, the manipulative aspect of it, because I didn't, like, tap into that as much as her playing out, like, her abandonment trauma, and specifically choosing Jimmy because he emotionally abandons her, and not choosing Trevor because he would have been the safe, like, the safe, nice choice. Because, like, I, she, like, literally, like, we mentioned before was, like, guys don't listen to me. I date the guys that are on the couch playing video games that ignore me. And she came out of like a Trevor session crying because he was so nice to her because he said he loved her. 
and then came out crying later because Jimmy had like a bad reaction to her news, but chose Jimmy. And like Trevor is her ideal type, but chose Jimmy. I don't know. Like, I feel like she wanted that. Yeah. Okay. I want to go here next because I like I saw I felt like I saw a different Chelsea with Trevor than I saw with Jimmy. To me, Jimmy and Chelsea were so just a non-connection to me that I wasn't even following their storyline. And maybe that was an editing thing. Like, I can't tell. I can't tell if it was just that I was not reading a connection between them and I liked the connections with the other two pairs in that square better, the two pairs that didn't work out. Um, I can't tell if it was just what I was hoping for and seeing or if editing, if production just didn't give Jimmy and Chelsea much stuff until they were getting engaged but I'm just let's go there let's talk about like the alternate universe of Jimmy and Jessica and Chelsea and Trevor I'm curious to hear what okay hold on I'm gonna say what I want to hear from you all but then I'm gonna say more opinions so I'm curious to hear uh because I think Dorothy said that you agreed that you were rooting for Chelsea Trevor Jimmy Jessica and I think I saw Allison nodding at some point so I'm, I'm just curious to hear everybody's thoughts on that but I also have like when I'm watching this stuff a lot, I think this is like rooted in my power view perception, but I'm often looking at like all, okay. All of these people are flawed as we all are. All of these people are being like massively deeply conditioned by the homogenized norms around love and these like unrealistic romantic visions. All of these people are people who like are maybe especially flawed in some way because they chose to come on this experiment, you know what I mean? Just in terms of their intentions around love and authenticity. And everybody's flawed. And like the hopeful part of me, the innocent part of me sees that like some from my own experience in relationship that sometimes my pink flags are a perfect match for someone else's pink flags to the point that they're not like snowballing into something extremely toxic for both of us. And so I think part of why I was hopeful, more hopeful and less critical when it came to Jess, Jimmy and Chelsea Trevor was because to me, it didn't seem like their patterns and flaws and pink flags were like, you could see it, you know, you could see there were issues with Jess and the kid and Jimmy and you could see Chelsea had some insecurity stuff, but it seemed like it could work out with Trevor. Like it seemed like Trevor could meet that potentially in a way that could have spiraled into something less toxic with Chelsea and kind of, I saw the same, like I had the same kind of hope for Jimmy and Jess, like this would obviously be complicated, but I could potentially see it working. And then as soon as it switched, it was like, I only saw ick between Chelsea and Jimmy. So I'm just curious to hear from you all your perspective on that, on the like alternate universe couples. Cause I really felt like it was like a different show when it came to Chelsea and Jimmy, once they got put together or once they put themselves together. Yeah, I mean, I was very hopeful, particularly about Chelsea and Trevor. It's such a tiny moment, but when he was asking about her physical preferences and she was like, I'm kind of really into mullets. And he's like, what the hell? (laughs) Of all the things this woman could have said, she said this one weird hairstyle that I've chosen. Um, And yeah, I think that like Trevor was very direct and Jessica was very direct and neither Chelsea nor Jimmy was very direct. And so like in either couple to have one person whose intentions feel clear and who doesn't feel like they're being manipulative or lying or like, you know, 
I feel like it maybe could have worked out better had they stuck with their initial coupling. But yeah, I also, I'm curious if this resonates with anyone else. I see a note that I wrote down projector question mark about Chelsea and manifester question mark about Jessica, which of course is really hard to tell from TV. But I think when both of them were like pushed to their comfort edges was when I jotted that possibility down. I, on that note, I felt like Jess was like very vivid, like, vividly describing a sacral response every time she would describe the way that she felt when she walked into the room she was like my like my body you're the only one my whole body has a response to you and like she was like kind of describing this thing which could again it's language so it could be any type but I I don't remember what she said because I didn't write it down, but there were several instances where she was like using very like specific language about how her body was feeling when she would kind of enter in, when they would kind of meet in aura <laughs> on both sides of the wall, but you know, probably within six feet of each other or so. I do feel like Chelsea's insecurities were super amplified with Jimmy because she's choosing the same type of guy who's bringing them out. And Trevor would have been like really safe. And that's probably why she didn't choose him. Also, Trevor said something when she went to tell him, like, I didn't choose you. He was like, if I would have asked you first, would you have chosen me? But I think she went to go see if she was going to be chosen by the one who wasn't going to choose her probably. And then he chose her and she was like, oh my God, I was expecting you to reject me. But if you're, you know, if you're expecting someone to reject you and then they don't, I mean, she, uh, yeah, she chose the one who she was shocked to be chosen by, basically. This was something that I wanted to talk to you all about, too. It sounds like you're seeing it as well, Amanda. But I had been questioning a lot, like, and I, I wondered if this was a power view thing, like, when it comes to these dynamics where one part of a potential couple has narrowed it down to just this other person and the other part of that potential couple hasn't. I was wondering a lot about like the power dynamics in that and whether, you know, what I think what you're pointing out here is that Chelsea felt like because it was possible that Jimmy wouldn't pick her, that Jimmy was like in a position of power somehow, maybe that Trevor wasn't right. And then you can, because I was just so surprised that it ended up with the two of them, you know, out of these four couples. And so I was just thinking about that. Like, did Jimmy think he had the upper hand because he had two potential partners and Jess didn't and Chelsea did. And like, did that maybe influence his opinion of Chelsea? Like, would Chelsea and Jimmy be the power couple because they were the two people with choice versus Trevor and Jess weren't? So, yeah, that was just a pattern that I noticed and wondered about and was watching kind of closely. I feel like Jimmy had to have known. That was something I picked up on was, like, everyone was, like, telling Jimmy. Like, even Trevor was, like, we both know we're seeing the same person. It's between both of us, but it's up to you. Like, it was kind of like Jimmy, Jimmy, I think, kind of was aware he was the center of attention. And I don't know if he's the person that should have had the power of the center of attention in that situation. But we may have just been watching two, like, sacral beings, like Trevor and Jessica, being like, oh, my gut says yes, it's you. 
and two non-sacral beings being like, I don't know how to pick. And then this amount of time, I can't like watch my emotional wave or watch any of my other like authority and just, it's too much, it's overwhelming. And then because of that, they accidentally pick what feels safe, but that's an old pattern that's incorrect for them. You know, and I feel like if they had been given some space and time, which I mean, that's not reality TV, but if they had been given some space and time, they may have found themselves going with like Chelsea going to Trevor and Jimmy going to Jessica. Like maybe if they had some space to like kind of process the situation, it would have ended up differently. Yeah. Okay. And so we've talked a little bit about what might have been going through Chelsea's head when she went with Jimmy, which for me was a bit of a blind side. Um let's talk about Jimmy and maybe bring Jess into a little, a little bit here. Like it seemed like, and he kind of reiterates this later that he was more into Jess until Jess got really confrontational. And Jess was like really quick to get defensive because I can't remember exactly what their like argument was about, but it seemed like at one point she assumed that he was a no to her before that was the case and then her getting all confrontational about it made it the case that's what I'm remembering that she like she jumped a couple steps ahead and had this like unnecessarily confrontational response because she was jumping to conclusions about what he was feeling and then that's kind of where it all fell apart I feel like there was a step um, almost right before that where I might have the time the timeline wrong but Jess had shared this very emotional, very like trusting, very vulnerable letter about forever with Jimmy. That's right. And it's almost like we think about confrontation as like anger and like, you know, conflict. But the confrontation for him was like the reality of forever and the reality of commitment. And he wavered at that point. And that's where Jess was like, okay, well, if you're not in 100%, then like, fuck you, I'm out. You're not the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I was forgetting what it was. It was the conflict was around that letter. And that was a situation where, and Chelsea did this to Jimmy too, or at least this is what I perceived. Jimmy just didn't respond the way that they hoped. And then they turned it into something when it wasn't necessarily the case. That's what I saw. I didn't see Jimmy being like, holy shit, I'm scared. I'm sure there were undertones of that. But I just saw him being like, well, he called it beautiful. He like thanked her for it. And then I'm sure there's tons we didn't see. But to, her, to me, her response to that was like based on a lot of assumptions and fears of hers. And that's what kind of started to scare him. I think in like episode one, he was so into her though. And I think she felt him pull back. And then that's why she kept pushing and like pushing and then getting angrier and angrier because he wouldn't just like outright reject her, but she could feel him. Like he basically like energetically already rejected her. So I think that at least to me was part of her response was she was like, I want to give him space. But then also at the same time, it's just like, I don't know. I lost the thought immediately. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to leave it there because the thought was lost. So clearly whatever was supposed to be said was said. <laughs> this is a lot of time on Chelsea and Jimmy. I have some final thoughts on them. One of the notes I have that I just want to share was the compliment that Jimmy gave Chelsea when she asked, what did you first think of me or what it was the first thing you liked about me or something like that? I quoted it just because it's so ridiculous. He said, ideal teeth big square white teeth 
and then boobs. Ideal. Not pretty smile. Not even nice teeth. Oh, and then boobs. Yeah. I could almost see his gears turning of trying not to say anything negative. Like, you didn't look like Megan Fox. I swear to God, he was just waiting for Megan Fox herself to walk through that thing. And he, I, it was like, I was, I could see him in his fantasy and she was not it because no one can be anyone's fantasy. It's like when she asked him that question, his face, he, he like, he does this thing a lot where he kind of freezes and then he goes into like robotic. I am now people pleasing mode. And it, it's like, he's like relaxed and natural. And then he freezes and he says the people pleasing thing. It's like, that's the whole pattern with him. And he was like, big, nice, square, white teeth, great teeth, beautiful teeth. And then he like, kind of was, it was like, he was trying to buy himself more time. Well, uh, that's the PG one. Uh, there's one thing about other thing that I like about you, but it's, but it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's just more people pleasing. None of it felt real it was very clear to me that the first things that he thought were, I was disappointed. Yeah. And it seems like one of the first things, if not the first thing he says to production is that she lied to him about looking like Megan Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that comment that she made changed more for him than almost anything else from what we could see as viewers. Hmm. And I think we just have to like honorable mention Jess's speech at the end when she told him that he was going to need an EpiPen once he saw what she looked like because his airways were going to clog up or something. That worries me because it's like, (laughs) if he's so visual, then like if he sees Jess, like I would hate for that to be like a reason. And maybe that's why Chelsea's like, I know you fucked her in the preview. Like maybe it has something to do with the jealousy around Jess. I don't know. So let's close out our Jimmy and Chelsea chapter with, predictions maybe or or hopes my hope is that we get to see the dynamic between Chelsea and Trevor which from the preview it looks like we will my hope is that Jimmy and Chelsea call it quits as soon as possible (laughs) and I'm curious to see between Jimmy and Jessica I don't necessarily foresee that it would work out but I would just I would enjoy them just switching back at some point in the season I would rather watch those other couples' dynamics, whether they work out or not, than watched this one personally. Because it kind of seems like we know what we're in for with Jimmy and Chelsea. I'm not really sure what could develop here beyond what we already see. Other Jimmy Chelsea predictions, hopes, thoughts? I think Chelsea is just going to keep, uh, Jimmy's going to keep lying to Chelsea. Chelsea's going to feel it. She's going to feel a little crazy. She's going to get more and more insecure and anxious and that's going to come out. And Jimmy's going to be like, what? All I've done is say that I love you and everything is phenomenal. I've said phenomenal at least 800 times. So like, obviously this has nothing to do with me (laughs) and then it's all going to blow up and it's, it's going to be like a Chelsea, Wondering what she did wrong, but she just repeated the same pattern again. That's what she did wrong. She chose the like guy who was, you know, whatever. Not actually available for her. Or, like many people, they'll get married and they'll just keep doing this for the rest of their lives. 
god i i hope yeah. not i don't yeah, that, i hope but... not <laughs> yeah and i'm hoping jessica tells us what an executive assistant means because that's like one of those non-jobs that you just tell production like this is what i'm doing and that's her job as executive assistant what does it mean tell us i think it means she's an assistant to an executive person like a secretary but i mean like i feel like it's someone like like it's juicy there it feels like there's a juicy information behind how vague that is that's funny i feel like there were way more vague and confusing job titles than hers, <laughs> that's the one that stuck out for me i was like executive assistant to who like what is what is intralogistics that's exactly that's i was just job. gonna ask. <laughs> yeah my hope is that chelsea and trevor get to see what happens um i I mean, maybe, but I don't think Jess would ever take Jimmy back after the micro rejection she received. Um, she was incredibly vulnerable with him through the entire relationship that they had. Um, and for him to waver on that, I think was kind of the point of no return for her. So yeah, I kind of have hope for Chelsea and Trevor, but um, I don't know if that'll actually happen. Just a, just a hope. One more question. On these two, let's do one at a time. Will Jimmy, will we see a character arc with him? Will we see him have some kind of self-awareness breakthrough on the show? I'm going to say no. I'm going to agree with you. Allison. <laughs> no, no, Dorothy, no. Amanda. No, I don't think he gets what he's doing. I yeah. He's going I mean, okay. I don't, he's a salesperson no. and I don't want to like shit on sales as a role to take in the world but i feel like he's always working um in a very not self-aware way agreed okay what about chelsea will we see a character arc for her will we see a self-awareness breakthrough i kind of think yes or i don't know if i think yes but i think it's possible i don't have possibility view but i think it's possible because I don't see her like having an agenda. That's what I think I see a lot with Power View is people's agenda. I see a clear agenda with Jimmy that's kind of a dishonest one. And I don't, I'm at least giving Chelsea the benefit of a, a doubt that there's not really an agenda there. So I think she'll be challenged, but I think I see her being able to like be honest with herself and, and her patterns, et cetera, et cetera. I think she could maybe come around um, again. I'm just hoping we get to see her and Trevor again. There was like a lot of warm, fuzzy safety I felt between those two that I didn't see really anywhere else. I think that, I mean, for me to be like, to be Trevor and to have just, I mean, I feel like he also was really, not only was he really vulnerable and open and honest, straightforward, he also handled the rejection with like so much grace. Yeah. Um, I actually hope that he has enough like self-respect to have a big boundary with her because I felt like she, I don't have a lot of hope for Chelsea to have self-awareness or to come around because even though she may know her pattern, she just did it again. And, and um, I think she might sort of out of, because I, I feel a lot of like desperation energy coming from her. Um, as a person, I'm particularly attuned to that and I don't like it, but it's because I myself tend to be a little avoidant. So there's, I'll just throw that in for context. Um, and so that, that desperation and that anxiety and that anxiousness, like it, 
it's a frequency that's difficult for me to like take in, but understand where it's coming from. But I just, I don't see her like really getting it. And I, I could see her potentially kind of going to Trevor to like, be like, Oh, you know, I take me back now because now I don't have anyone but I feel like Trevor as a person, because he's so honest and graceful and like handled everything so well and with such maturity, like kind of deserves a little better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I hope Chelsea evolves. I'm of the similar view that I don't know if she will, but at the same time, this situation feels so set up for her to evolve. Like it's like the perfect recipe of the universe being like, this is an opportunity to learn because we're shoving your triggers in your face, kind of. So it just feels like this perfect opportunity for her to reflect and kind of like understand and learn. And that might not happen until like after the show when she's watching it back. But like, I think there's a possibility for growth just because it just feels too like perfect. It's like the perfect storm for her of like the worst situation possible. Cool. All right. 49 <laughs> minutes in. We'll put a <laughs> end on Chelsea, J- Jimmy. I was originally thinking let's go to AD and Clay next. Cause I think that's the next most in depth, but now I'm thinking let's go to one of the easier ones, maybe for a palate cleanser to do like a quick, quick one. So maybe Amy and Johnny, does that feel good next? Mm-hmm. Okay. Johnny the Sagittarius, he says his birthday and he has like very Sagittarian vibes. 28 account executive. Amy also 28 e-commerce specialist. Amy's a Leo. I looked up their signs. Chelsea is a Libra, obvious. Jimmy's a Scorpio for whatever that's worth. Does anyone else want to do a first impression of this couple besides me i thought amy might have five somewhere in her chart because i feel like i can't really get a gauge on her like people with fives that you just can't feel their energy and like their feelings at all because they're just behind that sphere and that's what i got with her like i just can't read her so i feel like there has to be some kind of five at least for my ego you know there has to be a five somewhere in her chart i could see that yeah like i when i think about what kind of impressions do i get from people once I know that they're a fifth line a lot of times I can look back and see that my first impression of them was sort of like a caricature of some kind like an idea of a person and I I could see that with her I don't feel that I know her well I don't feel that I know their dynamic as a couple very well either but I do agree that there's something a little harder to tap into with Amy specifically than Johnny my impression of their dynamic though is that it seems pretty healthy and maybe that's actually why we haven't seen much like a ton of them and why I haven't retained a ton from them is that we haven't seen a super three-dimensional or multi-dimensional like picture of their relationship yet but I certainly haven't seen anything that scares me and I've seen a handful of things that seem like oh that's nice that seems authentic (laughs) that seems good completely like when he saw her the first time in the reveal I was like okay he's obsessed and I love to see it Like, as the romantic, he was just, like, his eyes, he was like, oh, my God. Like, he fell in love with her on the spot. If he wasn't in love with her before, he fell in love with her when the doors opened. And it was, like, so beautiful to watch. Like, that's my read, too, is it feels like a very happy couple. It feels like, at least from what we've seen, they're not choosing each other because of their trauma. They're choosing each other because of the things they have in common and the values they have. So that's, like, a good recipe. But we... I guess we'll see. Hopefully we see nothing about them and then they're just happy and away from all the drama. But you never know. 
I see Amy a little bit like questioning. I mean, she's, I think she's processing it. She seems to be processing it well and like going in openly, but she's, she's kind of said to the, the cameras a few times, he's a white guy. And like, I don't normally date people that look like him. And he's like blonde, but like my dad had this dream and like, she's kind of working through that, which makes sense. But I see her like into him, but also being a little more like reserved and a little more like playing her cards close to her chest, which I think is why we can't feel her as much because she's like that. I feel like that's intentional because she's I feel like she's up to some personal processing that like we just can't see because she's not spewing it out at anyone. (laughs) And I feel like um I keep wanting to say Jimmy, but Johnny, Johnny and Jimmy, Johnny is like super into her and is like, cool, I hit the jackpot. And I think they're into each other. And that's pretty much it. It's pretty much like they're like a yes to each other. And will will she be able to like work through whatever like secret things she's working through about him um, that she's currently processing or not is mm-hmm. kind of the question. Yeah. One note I have from them, I had written, I don't feel like I know them very well, but the power balance between them feels good. Like, even though, yeah, she might be holding back a little bit, it doesn't feel like she's doing that as a power play or even necessarily to protect herself. It seems like she's just like being realistic about the situation that she's in and being honest. And I wrote a note that it seems to me like they're on the same team. And even if he's a little more sure than her to come back to that like power dynamic, power balance thing, he's not, I don't see him being like necessarily changing anything about himself or being inauthentic or jumping in way over his head either. You know, it, they, it, everything feels pretty balanced between them. And yeah, that's what I, I think that's what I look a lot for. Like I said, sometimes I think my power view looks for agendas, you know, and what people are trying to get out of their relationship dynamic or if they're trying to do a power play and maintain a certain amount of power. But to me, like the foundation of a healthy relationship is being on the same team, like uh, like having the agenda that is we both move through this relational dynamic in a way that's healthy for both of us and it best serves both of us. And I so far I see that with them. I don't see any like ulterior motives or anybody trying to get into the power position about you, Allison. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I feel like they're kind of cute. They both want kids. Like, they seem pretty content. I will say I also wrote down that Johnny seems manipulative. Um, And I don't know if I have a ton of, like, examples to pull from because I'm looking at, like, what I wrote in my notebook here. But there was one moment when he... He was the one that was singing to her too. There's also this one moment where he was like, quote unquote, accidentally blurted out that he loved her. And it really didn't seem like an accident to me. It seemed very carefully planned (laughs) Um, to be like, oh, it's so cute. I blurted it out. I'm just so overcome with feeling. And it didn't seem authentic to me in the moment. Um, But Yeah, like I said, I don't disagree with anything you guys have said. Like, they seem cute. That moment just, like, grossed me out. That's so interesting. I did not pick up on that at all. And I also did not pick up on that the Megan Fox comment 
might have been manipulative. But once you both phrased it as how she or pointed out that she brought up the celebrity convo, I saw it. So that's just that's a pattern of mine. Like I am always giving everyone the benefit of a doubt. It's kind of interesting because you would think power view would see it. But I think innocence motivation is just like I just don't have an agenda most of the time. (laughs) So I just like assume that other people also don't. So that's interesting. I want to hear what Allison and or Amanda and Dorothy think about the maybe subtle manipulation of the I love you blurting. I didn't catch it. Oh, me neither. But like now I'm just like digesting that. And now I'm wondering if part of his reaction that was like so over the top when he saw her was also planned partially. Like if he's just maybe he's hyper aware of the cameras and he's like, I'm going to be putting on a show. I did have a a little moment of this feels extra and performative with him, but I didn't really think anything of it. But it was like when the two times it was when she first started talking about her family being from Spain and she said Barcelona and he was like, I just love your accent. I remember feeling like uh, just like a little like two percent rubbed me a weird way. But also I'm always giving everyone the benefit of a doubt. I'm like, they're on camera. They're making first impressions, whatever. And then the other one was when she was talking about her brother and him being special needs. And I didn't doubt what he was saying was true, that he like did want to give her a hug and was like in that emotional moment with her. But it did feel a little bit like extra emotionally performative to me, which I guess like that kind of stuff is always subtle coercion and subtle manipulation, even if it's coming from a place of think performing in the way you think someone needs you to perform performing in the way that you're conditioned to understand like care but yeah some I've I've had a couple moments with him where it it just rubbed me a little inauthentic but I did not think beyond like just a moment of I kind of recognize that as um awkwardness like like having a feeling and not really knowing I I recognized it as this because I feel this sometimes like not really knowing what to say about a feeling I'm having and then trying to find words to it feels awkward but then because they had the wall I was like oh he has to like say something he can't just like hug her he has to say I wish I could hug you I feel awkward saying that stuff like if I'm on the phone with something someone or something and I can't just like feel and be physically present I say it and I'm like, this isn't a thing for words. (laughs) That's kind of how I read it. But I could be like projecting myself into that situation. Totally. And I'm always also like another advocate, a reason to give people the benefit of a doubt is like they're getting to know each other. They don't know what each other needs when it comes to like care and stuff. So being able to find that balance where you can behave and speak authentically to you in a way that you have some sense of assurance will be okay for the person sharing something vulnerable with you. You know, that's not always an immediate thing. And I think it's hard when you can't see people's body language on the other side of the wall as well. Like you have no idea how what you're sharing is landing. Um, and there's just so much like lag time and wait time. And yeah, you, you just lose so much of communication when you can't see someone. All good points. Yes, I think that's part of the volume of some people's reactions and kind of the volume of like the projection of the stories is because they can't see someone else. So all you can kind of do is project your stuff on the plane wall in front of you. Like if someone's not responding, it's it is easy to immediately go to your insecurities because you can't read their body language, you can't see their eyes, you can't really feel their energy. 
So I could see like even just kind of the setup of like Love is Blind itself being kind of triggering just because of the setup. Totally. It like turns the reality of mirroring and projection in a relationship up all the way because you're literally staring at a blank wall and you have to like be with your own discomfort (laughs) and there probably aren't a lot of opportunities to escape or ignore that discomfort. Interesting. Okay. The only other note I had on Amy and Johnny, it's like also it's a non sequitur, but I just want to point it out that when he went to sing We Three Kings of Orient are to her, he said, We three kings are glory and sauce. <laughs> what does that mean? I noticed I noticed that he had a lot of the lyrics wrong to that song. But uh nice voice (laughs) it made me laugh okay any uh do we have well i don't even think i have i i wouldn't ask the question will they have arcs because or will they have self-awareness breakthroughs because i don't necessarily see a need for that on either of their parts but hope's predictions on jimmy nope johnny and amy i'm kind of like I couldn't make a prediction right now because we just haven't seen enough. Again, it hasn't been a multidimensional display of their dynamic yet. Maybe they also haven't really hit a conflict yet, so we haven't been able to see that. But I'm kind of in a why not hope they make it (laughs) mindset. Yeah, I feel like I'm similar. It's just like, I hope they make it. It seems really nice, but I feel like it can all go down in the next couple episodes. That's what the last season taught us is everything was fine. And it was beautiful. And then all of a sudden, everyone just broke up on the honeymoon. And it was like, wait, what happened to Love is Blind? You know, so it's like, who knows? Because I feel like the editing makes it seem like everyone's so solid. And then all of a sudden, you find out they weren't solid at all. But um, yeah, hopeful. Hopeful because they seem really into each other. And I just, I hope that can, like, that connection can help last. I could also see Johnny being someone that you, like, grow more attracted to. And if the closest thing to like a hurdle for them right now is that she's not really his type, um, which I know there's like race stuff behind it, too. So it, it the looks thing is beyond just type. But if that is the biggest hurdle, I c- he has like a personality, you know, like he's an interesting, fun seeming guy and seemingly self-aware and kind enough that I'm like, I could see her like becoming really physically attracted to him as well. I don't think I have much to add. Yeah, I just feel like we're waiting to see how it goes. Um, waiting to see if Amy gets the other parts of her on board. I feel like parts of her are on board and parts of her are not quite yet. Mm-hmm. Which seems healthy more than yes. problematic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, I hope that none of these people get married, but like, that's again coming from my own personal. I'm like, no, no one should ever be getting married on any of these shows. However, I think that I could see them building a life together. It seems like they both kind of want the same things and they're like actual genuine desires. They're not like too much in their fantasy or projections of each other um, from my current perspective. Of where the season's at cool general neutral to positive on amy and johnny okay i think the i think maybe let's put ad and clay off one more because that one might be a little more substantial 
Kenneth and Brittany, to me, feel like the other I really don't have much to say couple. Shall we go there? Both Virgos. Kenneth is the 26-year-old middle school principal. Brittany is the 25-year-old senior client partner. That one is a don't know to me. I really felt like I didn't know them at all. Like, And it's hard for me to tell how much is because of airtime versus my own my own investment in the storyline. But I guess those two, those two things are kind of the same. If there's not much to show, they won't show it. All I wrote for them, literally all I wrote in my notes was, I don't really know them yet, but I don't sense any ulterior motives. I think if they have ulterior motives, it's like religion based. Like it's their, I mean, their, their religious ideals of marriage really came through and having been someone who was like deeply in the church as a child coming out of that, like I could hear them just kind of like regurgitating. This is what marriage is. Like my, my husband needs to be this and my wife needs to be this and you check the boxes. And I was kind of like boring because they, I think they could have like really gotten to know each other, but instead they were like, from what we could tell, because again, they didn't get a lot of airtime. They were talking about these concepts that were basically just like regurgitations of what they were told that they're supposed to do um, by their church or whatever. And they, they happened to check each other's boxes, but the boxes were like given to them by someone else. So I feel like they didn't even really get to know each other that well. And so we didn't really get to know either of them. That's such a good point. Yeah, my like, obviously, I saw a lot of the religious programming, too. But I also just didn't really think much beyond it. I was just like, all right, if that's your guys's thing, cool, seems like a match for you. But that's so true. Like, I don't know that we saw we were privy to any evidence that that maybe what's the word I'm looking for stifled the potential for them to get to know each other on a more individual differentiated level. But it seems very probable that you're right that that was happening yeah kind of like they fit each other's worldview um I wrote I wrote biblical gender roles too like it's interesting to like from the outside for someone I was not raised religious so I like I'm watching this happen and I had a similar reaction as Kelsey did it's kind of like I guess if that's your thing like good for you you found that thing in another person but it's interesting because Part of me is like, if that's really what they want, that's what they want. And it's a good thing that they got it. And then there's another part of me that's like, they are never going to have to confront a different worldview because they've opted to stay within it, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. It's like, are we watching this show with the hope or potential of people is that as the potential outcome that we're looking for a long lasting relationship and or is the potential outcome that we're looking for people waking the fuck up you know <laughs> like those are different different and there's a Venn diagram there for sure but yeah like I think I kind of was watching them as like oh yeah you guys are not in my world also like side note as a former educator the first thing I thought about Kenneth was like I think he was 25 in, in the show at the time of recording. Like, there should not be a 25-year-old principal. Yes. Just, like, immediately was, like, yeah. not down with that. I, and I even aside from religion, I already know you belong to, like, a subset of 
the culture that I disagree with as a former educator who knows the kinds of things that put 25-year-olds in the positions of administrators. Anyways, um, yeah, but I was very much just like, all right, but it could work out. Like, you guys aren't going to wake up, obviously, but it could work out. Yeah, I think the I didn't have much to say about Brittany, but with Kenneth, like, I feel like maybe this has come through with some of my other shares about other people, but he's like one person, maybe Trevor as well, that like, I feel some level of trust toward. And I feel I'm as the only first line in this room right now. Um, I feel like that's something I picked up on, like Trevor, partially as well. But Kenneth, like, he has like a sweet sort of grounded energy. Um, And even when he's already been partnered, he's the one that's like, listening to the other guys crying and like having big feelings in the in the men's suite um throughout it too so I wrote that down too just he seems like trustworthy from as much as I can tell from a reality show completely I had the exact same read on him like with survival view I was like he feels safe like he he feels very safe and I feel like Brittany might be the other half of the like that might be slightly more reserved almost I don't know why that's the vibe I pick up but he feels like very fully in and like ready and like is is present and I got just a really good vibe from him I don't want to yuck their yum with all the biblical gender roles because that also gave me kind of the ick just because she was like I want a man to lead me and I was like I I really don't want that but that's my stuff that has nothing to do with you know so I felt concerned when Brittany said, oh yeah, the race of my partner doesn't matter. Skin color doesn't matter. I was like, girl, you're like gonna have to address that. On the colorblind spectrum. Yeah. And, and I think she just is not, she's like Christian checks my Christian boxes. Nothing else matters. But like, then I like, think that ad later on went to kenneth and was like you know that she's gonna have black babies like is she gonna be able to handle that and at this point if someone is saying like all that we know really of her relationship to any sort of like awareness around him being black is that it doesn't matter (laughs) which is what she said no, my partner's skin color doesn't matter. Well, actually, it does. <laughs> and then if you're going to have kids and then, you know, so it's like, and I think that he might be, based on his conversation with AD, he might already be grappling with that. And she's like maybe just unaware because she's maybe never had to think about it before. And she's just inserting him into her Christian man role. And he could just be like an, any Christian man. And so that I can see that being like a, a pretty big issue for them just when they like get to like their actual real lives. Yeah, I see that whole thing as like yeah. just a really big question mark because we haven't really seen much evidence either way like how the racial stuff is going to impact them or like where either of them are with it. Yeah, that I feel I like had a different read on it, so it was interesting hearing Amanda's read. I kind of thought that was more like production, just being like love is blind trying to or love is blind trying to be woke and trying to be like, look, we are starting a conversation, uh, like forty years late, but we're doing it. 
guys were with the kids. That's the vibe I got. Like they like specifically asked her questions about that in the interview so that they could use that and be like, we are so woke. Cause it was like, that. that's just the vibe I got, but then it could also be like an aspect she hasn't really considered. And I don't know, but maybe she's also just trying to say the right thing in the interview. And she's just like, I don't know. I'm on TV. I'm just trying to like get on with this interview. I'm exhausted. You know, like they don't, I don't know if they're really feeding them this season. There's a lot of shots of them showing them that they're feeding them, like production being like, look, because last time we didn't feed them, this time we're feeding them. Survival view. Yeah. They, what, Kenneth and Brittany had a salad of just lettuce. And I was like, if you're feeding them, you got to give them a little more than just lettuce. (laughs) Oh my God. So survival view. I didn't notice anything about the food the whole time. Yeah. Well, they had a... There was a big issue um, previous uh, last season, I think. Contestants, yes. I don't know what to call them. The like a couple seasons ago, some of the people came out. I don't know if they tried to sue them or, but they basically drew attention. They started some, you know, reality TV contestants' rights group or something, um, and teamed up with like someone who is a lawyer. You know, and basically they were like, they're not feeding us. They're just giving us so much alcohol. They're not feeding us food. And so I also noticed because of that, I noticed how much they were panning into the food and showing like, look how much we're feeding them, like proving that we're feeding these people. Um, Just like an interesting side note. I thought the salad looked great. I was like, wow, that looks like a great salad. That's nice. Funny. The possibility view (laughs) version of this is I was like, it would be really fun to be on a show where I could order whatever food I wanted at any point in time. Um, Cause yeah, they just kept showing sushi and uh, it looked fun. Unrelated to food, but kind of related to some of what we're talking about with Brittany and Kenneth. I just personally, I think this has kind of always been the case on all seasons of love is blind where like a lot of the like political leanings of people seem really ambiguous, but there's something particularly interesting about like watching and trying to discern where like where people are on these spectrums in a southern city because they're in Charlotte, you know, and so it's like just as someone who's only lived in like your classic suburb in Ohio and then like cities that are very quote liberal uh, it's just, I just like can't place it. I'm like, where are Charlotte people? Okay, it just, a lot of it just feels super ambiguous to me in terms of their values, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I also feel like in order to be willing to get married and to have the value of marriage as this thing that I am looking to achieve in my life, you have to be a little bit conservative in some ways. And so it kind of makes sense. And I I feel like progressively as the seasons have come out, like the first couple of seasons, like probably especially the first and second season, like people weren't really, they were kind of like in it for the show and like in it for the experience. And then as they went to different cities, it's like smaller cities and people were like, I want to get married. That's a, that's like a very specific goal in my life. And I, people are pressuring me to get married, which I was like, huh, people are doing that. And so I just think that the nature of the show in the sense that the end is a very quick marriage, like predisposes the people to being more conservative in general. Yeah. 
this whole charade is happening under the like umbrella of the assumed narrative that marriage is a massive goal that everybody should and does aspire to. It's like a conservative worldview that is perhaps backed by conservative politics, maybe probably backed by conservative politics. They um, do something similar on another show called Married at First Sight, where they cast a lot of people that are either conservative or religious because they're more likely to go through with A, the marriage, and then B, the idea that we're soulmates and we're meeting because God has put us together. So I feel like the casting is a little predatory in that way because they're kind of using people's belief system and then they're bringing in people. We haven't talked about Matt. But the fact that Matt got past the screening, like, I know it's a TV show, but, like, that's insanity. You know, like, I feel like people like that shouldn't get past the screening almost. Yeah, but, um, let's move over to Matt in, and AD and Clay. I'm just going to make an executive decision. We don't need to make predictions on Kenneth and Brittany. I think we already kind of did that. Um, so, yeah, Matt, you wanted to start with Matt and then that can veer us into AD and Clay. <laughs> Dorothy, I just feel like some stuff to say about Matt. Oh my god, I feel like every time, every person I've talked to that's seen this season has been like, so Matt, huh? Like, everyone, it, like, activates their nervous system, you see him, there's something wrong. My theory, I, like, message Kelsey about this, I think he's, like, one of those, like, X-Men kind of people, like, I think, he said he was an engineer, but maybe he's also, like, an advisor here, I'm seeing. Matthew, 37, senior financial advisor. Born in January, so either a Capricorn or an Aquarius. We don't know. Yep, that makes sense. He seems super Saturnian. But it just feels like he's so, like, intellectually smart, but then has, like, an emotional IQ of zero. And then they just let him loose in this studio. And just, he just was treating, like, all his relationships as if it was, like, an algorithm that he could hack. And if he just, like, says the exact same thing at these people, well, then the right person algorithmically will just show up. And then he was like, this is just how I'm going to treat it, like a computer game. And it's like... I'm sorry. I don't know how you got this far, man, but that's not what this is. Matthew is overtly manipulative. And Matthew does the thing that, yes, we can just call lying that Jimmy also does. But for some reason, I prefer to phrase it as calls himself out by saying the thing that is the opposite. Um, and he said, like, I wrote this. I quoted this because I rewatched like the second episode or something. And he said when he was like spilling shit out to AD, he literally says, quote, I'm not embellishing. I'm not saying this to anyone else. Like, why are you quantifying or qualifying? Why are you qualifying what you're saying with that? And he also at one point says everything I said was true. Like after he says stuff, everything I said was true. Um, and in regards to this the, the big storyline with him was that he told Amber and AD the same things and they found out after he said to AD, I'm not saying this to anyone else. He said to AD, are you going to tell, are you going to tell anybody else about what I said to you today? Like, Wah. but I will say first impression of him, I gave him the benefit of a doubt for a while, partially because I could tell the edits were super weird, like of him getting up and leaving the room and stuff. Like he's obviously socially awkward and yeah, that was the only thing that was really obvious to me at first, and I gave him the benefit of a doubt because I could tell that the editing was intense, so I was like, maybe they're just trying to make him look a certain way. And then I think AD liking him also made me like stay a little open-minded, perhaps longer than I should have because I have some some trust, 
some trust in AD's judgment, at least a little bit. Um, but then, yeah, it just got so bad that it was like, ugh. And he says America's watching. That's like, come on, guy. <laughs> and he also said one of the things that he lies about by stating the opposite, he says, I'm not here to become a C-list celebrity. Nobody else is saying that, man. So, yeah, he's just up there calling himself out. That's my take on Matthew. When he said, America loves a comeback, uh, people like me come out on top. I got very, like, dark corners of the internet vibes. Very, like, I've been planning this out for, like, two years vibes. Like, how do I manipulate a woman into getting what I want vibes like it and like whatever the reasons are behind that whatever is going on with him you know in his mind what are his intentions I don't know um but it was like pretty concerning from the beginning like the way that he um was just so like specifically manipulating people it was like he had read some rules in like a dark corner of the internet from these like um it's like it gave me like pickup artist vibes like the you know do you guys know what I mean when I say that like the yes um dark corners of reddit where, where the people, the men who call themselves pickup artists gather and congregate and talk about how to best like manipulate women and pick them up and then whatever, et cetera, et cetera. It, it was like very much because then when he couldn't, he couldn't interact with the men at all. Like they were like trying to talk to him and he would literally just like get up and walk away. And yeah, it was like very clear that he was viewing them as his competition, but that by like doing things in the way he was doing them, it was almost like someone told him how to be. And he was like being that way. Like these men are your enemies. Anyway, (laughs) it was pretty wild. And I think AD's part in all of this is like, she was, she picked up on it on some energetic level and was like, I can fix him. I can open him up. I can find, I can find the real him. Um, I can get in there. And then she kind of thought that maybe she did. And then obviously didn't. But the, at the moment that there was a like sign to her beyond maybe an energetic one that he was fucking bogus. She did not hesitate at all really to be like, eh, no, so, and the thought that just came into my mind just now is like, we miss out. Obviously, we miss out on a lot, like Allison was saying, with body language and stuff. But are they in aura? Like, there's, they can't read the ener- energy. I mean, maybe when they're close up against the wall, they can. And we miss out on so much by, uh, I'm not, when I say we right now, I'm not trying to talk about the viewer. I'm talking talking about people in a situation like this. They miss out on so much by not getting the context of social interaction. So I see that AD has some patterns of like the caretaking, you know, and the, the overmothering. But I'm, I don't know if I saw enough to say that that was a primary dynamic of what I think was happening with her. Because if I try to think about only what she heard of Matthew Like, he did have a cute personality. He did have that, like, socially awkward but coming out of his shell 
and that he's kind of sweet personality. So I don't know. We'll see how AD handles Clay and his lesser moments, <laughs> you know, but part of me wants to at least give her the benefit of a doubt that like maybe there wasn't a whole lot that she could have done to like catch his shit before it became I obvious. always call that but that's also just me defending myself because I'm like I was willing to think he might be sweet and okay for a minute so. I was too and I always call that hidden gem hidden gem syndrome because I learned from a very young age that there are these people who portray themselves in a certain way. Like I'm kind of a hidden gem. No one's ever discovered me before, but they're doing it with so many people that it it's like obviously very manipulative, but you don't always catch it right away. Hidden gem syndrome. My friend and I coined it in high school. Actually, I still use it because it's everywhere. <laughs> That's hilarious. And such a good description of what he was doing. Yeah. I think this, phrase might have been on other tips of tongues but the like involuntarily celibate movement where there's men on the internet investigating why they're the victim <laughs> in every interaction they've ever been in um and yeah I had a I had a hard time pinning Matthew down like my first notes about him are like he's quiet he's from a small town he's like a financial advisor so he's taking a very formulaic approach to social, social interactions. Like he's kind of trying to follow a script. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's pretty significant social deficits there. And I think it leans toward manipulation a lot of the time. Um, but I wonder if it maybe wasn't always like that in his sort of life story. I also wonder if there like is some more I don't I'm not saying I think this is true but I wonder I just want I just like want to think highly of everyone I want to give everyone the benefit of a doubt I wonder if some of his like I'm just awkward and I'm nervous about this but there's some pure intention stuff I wonder if some of that is true and then finding himself like way in over his head with like the emotional vulnerability and stuff just triggered him into those like gross kind of protective incel sort of behaviors I also, I do not think highly of him and his behavior on the show, but I just am always curious about those like dynamics under the surface. And I want to believe that there were pieces of him in moments where there was like a purer intention or something. But one of my first thoughts about him was like, why is this guy coming on this show? Like, this is going to be so embarrassing for him. You don't begin your self-awareness journey in relationship on national TV. Or maybe you do. Is it stupid or brave? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, AD. So we could talk about more about AD and Matthew if we want. If anybody has thoughts to share there, go for it. But AD and Clay, you won't be surprised to hear from me that, like, obviously Clay <laughs> said some dumb shit at certain points throughout. And I'm still kind of rooting for him a little bit and rooting for them because it, it might be project. I, I mean, I'm always projecting. We're always projecting, projecting my own like innocence and kind of Aries energy onto him a little bit. But I mostly with Clay see a guy that believes some really stupid things and therefore behaves in some stupid ways, but is starting to see <laughs> that some of those things are stupid and is not necessarily coming from a place of like um, malintention. And perhaps if the match with AD 
is this is a put I think the match has some potential to be one where they both can grow and where he'll be willing to like challenge the ego stuff and the masochistic stuff um and you know she does have that kind of caretaking air and that very patient energy but I also have faith in her to like I think maybe because of what we saw with Matthew and we saw this in some cases with her and Clay where she'll like put her foot down and you know, like she, I could and she always talks about how therapy changed her life and stuff. So I see in her a person that's like has is not new to dealing with the demons of the overly motherly caretaking nature. So I do have hope for them. And I yeah, I don't think negatively about Clay yet there. I certainly winced at moments, but I sense like an innocence energy in him like he's an idiot, but it might be innocent idiocy. And I think he sees her and appreciates her. Like, I think he can actually see the value of her and, like, appreciates what it could do for him in a more, like, self-improvement, self-awareness way and not only, like, a look-at-her-booty way. You're like, I'm not sure. I could be wrong. I got the vibe Clay didn't know what he was auditioning for. Like, he mentioned, I think he's never seen Love is Blind. I think that was the source of a lot of it was he was confused I don't think he really understood what show, I mean, he might have kind of got it, but I don't think he like was fully bought in, which is why he was making some of those comments. That is true. And, like he was recruited. Some of these yeah. people were recruited versus some were like, ooh, I want to be on the show. And he was definitely recruited. Right. So I think that's like part of why he was acting that way. But I also, I don't know, for AD, I think she needs to be a nurturer to feel safe in the relationship. Wouldn't be surprised if she had some cancer somewhere in her. But the kind of vibe I got was she didn't feel fully present in either the relationship with Clay or Matthew because she just wants to fix it. And if she wants to fix it and fix them, she's not present with who they actually currently are. And then can't actually like see who are you right now? Are we a good fit? She's just like so bent on, oh, Clay changed himself for me. He's willing to fix himself for me. And then it's like, I don't know. I feel like Clay's too too early in his therapy journey to also be getting married. I feel like this is a lot happening for Clay right now. And sure, AD wants to nurture and help, but I don't know how fair that is for her to be all like that much of a nurturer in this relationship because it. It doesn't feel like being a partner. It feels like being a mother. So I saw more of like the mother aspect of it. And it felt like she was too invested in her idea of who Clay could be. Thanks to her like nurturing and fixing. And that was also kind of with Matthew. She nurtured and fixed him into opening up. So I think that's just, again, how she feels safe. That's also, I can do that sometimes too. But that's the vibe I got. Yeah, super good points. I think like a note that I took for them was there's certainly some flags, but it seems like the possibility that their flags might be a good match, like flags that actually can tease out some knots with each other. That being said, both of them and probably especially AD will need to have a level of self-awareness and boundaries around how much of my helping you with your shit is too much for me. Yeah, I feel like we saw AD's patterns very much with clarity throughout the first episodes. And then I think it was in episode five or six where she said, and I have it quote in quotes, that she's a fix-a-ho. Like she, this is how she does relationships. <laughs> she likes to fix people. Um, and I thought it was really interesting to hear her 
call that out with such awareness and like clarity of that pattern in her. And then to be with Clay, who is like, from my perspective, so thirsty for validation and appreciation with, again, such self-awareness. He says it over and over and over again that like, I need validation. I need appreciation. Um, and that's a neutral thing, but I don't think it's neutral how um, dysregulated he becomes in the absence of that. I really, really liked both of them because of their self-awareness. Like, I was like, I was so, like, happy, I guess, for both of them, like, separately as individuals, because they were just, like, going through their actions and, like, in real time, they were dealing with it. They were talking to people about it. They were processing it. And I was just, like, impressed with, like, both of their self-awareness. I think, like, coming together, like, it makes sense that they came together because, you know, Clay, like, he was very, like, I mean, I think he literally was, like, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. And he like kept like trying to curl into her, like immediately when they first met, he was like physically curling into her body and she was like holding him. Um, and then you hear him say something like, yeah, I'm a baby. Like, I just want someone to take care of me. Um, and then he immediately is like, but she's my baby and I, I want to protect her too. So like, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out because it seems like a very good, like eighties coming in with this, like very self-aware, but very like, yeah, I like try to fix people. I try to take care of people. Like, um, that's kind of how I have do relationships. I'm really good at it. It reminds me of me with my hope motivation and guilt transference. Um, I'm really good at like fixing it, but I don't want to, um actually it took me a lot of years to realize that um and yeah I don't know I just think I have hope for them like I have so much hope for them both like individually as people and I just really liked both of them and I don't know if they're uh gonna be happy with each other long term but at the very least they're triggering things for each other that kind of need to needed to come out as individuals so yeah totally i'm realizing that i recognize like the aries cancer square in their relationship him representing aries energy her cancer and that's me and budway and so i think that's part of why i feel like i'm rooting for them because and maybe part of why i really want to give clay benefit of doubt because i understand that that kind of harsh aries energy can come from a place of innocence you know but a lot of what we're talking about with uh, AD is like the cancer stuff. And with that dynamic, like it's a square, it's a challenging dynamic, but it is squares create productive tension that require you to like work through your shit. And that's what I see with them. And so there's like an equal parts responsibility that the Aries has to not take advantage of the cancer care, but the cancer has to have some level of boundaries and take responsibility for the fact that the care is their nature and it's not necessarily something being demanded of them and they have to opt into it. Um, also I didn't mention he's a Virgo. She's a Scorpio. I mentioned in our chat here that him being a Virgo son means he's likely to have some Leo placements, which that's where I see a lot of the like ego and like desire for validation. But does anybody else think maybe projector 
for AD because I think a lot of what we're talking about that we've thus far mentioned as cancer feels like, you know, the fix a hoe. And she's her storylines were so much about what she saw in Matthew and what she saw in Clay. Um, and so I feel like if she's able to maintain her sense of self, then she could it could work with her and Clay. But if she just loses herself fully in the relationship, which I honestly don't think she will, then that's where there's danger. So, yeah, is, is AD maybe a projector? I thought that maybe she was a projector and I felt like she felt very like successful in her life maybe perhaps or or maybe satisfied i don't know or maybe peaceful i i yeah i don't know actually i never really know but i now that i'm realizing that clay is a virgo with probably leo i was like oh like he feels like familiar to me because that's me (laughs) i was like oh i'm so proud of him (laughs) and i will say my mom has a lot of leo and virgo and um i'm quite turned off by clay just generally (laughs) I think that there is like some innocence behind his behaviors but yeah I just cringing like icky feelings about a lot of his um a lot of his ego stuff but I do think AD could be a projector I think that there's like a tendency among projectors such as myself to fall in love with someone's potential instead of like with what they're actually showing up with in front of you. Um, And I see a lot of that in her. Yeah. I think she's got, I think she's very watery, but I think she's got some fire too. So I'm hoping she can keep like tending to her fire to protect her amidst all the water. Okay. All we have left is Jeremy and Laura confounding couple for me. I don't actually even know what the word confounding means, but I think it fits how I feel about them. Jeremy 32 intralogistics, although I noticed on my rewatch of episode two today that it's something about construction management. Uh, Laura 34 account director, also vague. Potential little bit of love triangle stuff that we probably don't have time to talk about, but Sarah Ann 30 customer support manager was Jeremy's other quote option. And we'll see more of her later. So We can maybe skip over her today. The previews showed us that she returns. So if we need to talk about Sarah Ann at some point, we can. I don't really like Laura. She's a Virgo. He's a Scorpio. So many Virgos and Scorpios. I feel like Laura's kind of mean. And I will, as with everyone, give her the benefit of a doubt that some of it is probably just like nervous energy that she doesn't know how else to express. But I notice she like projects stuff a lot. Like she'll be like, you want you just want to push my buttons. And I'm like, no, dear, you're trying to push his buttons right now. Um, but also, I don't know what to think about Jeremy. Like in the earlier episodes, I kind of liked him before we saw him in the pods much. Like from what I saw with him with the guys, he just seemed like a... He felt like a very Chicago dude. Like he felt familiar to me, like men in Chicago, just kind of like bland, but a little funny. Didn't think too much of it. I kind of trust what he says and feels towards Laura. Like I don't really sense any weird agendas, but yeah, just like, I don't know. I can't really get a read on them. And there's some distrust on both ends and they just don't seem like a match to me, but I don't have strong feelings or opinions about it. That's where I am with those two. I feel like Jeremy looks so much like Elon Musk to me. It was really distracting. Like, I was just like, how is Elon Musk on Love is Blind right now? And then Elon Musk is also really into blondes. So it was weird that he got with Laura. I was like, this is like an alternate reality, a different timeline of Elon Musk. It's a fractal of him. It's on Love is Blind. 
but um I also kind of it's like they're kind of a hard read but I feel like it's because we didn't we got like the least footage of them almost like they were like an, they were a footnote everyone else got introduced episode one we even got Matthew in episode one but we only really get like Jeremy and Laura's story in episode two so it's kind of like it's funny that they were a footnote almost in the show and now in the podcast we're like oh let's let's get on with this <laughs> the, the Jeremy Laura part you know almost but um yeah I think I agree that she has like this almost red flag of seeming argumentative and not being able to apologize and like 80 had to come to the rescue when um Laura and Clay had a fight in episode six and 80 was the one that was trying to be like can't you see how you could have possibly hurt his feelings and Laura was like it's just a joke and I was like "Ooh, that's so weird the bean dip thing that just all went over my head but it did seem like Laura's the culprit here and there's something strange and weird yeah it was like I don't know maybe she was like drinking that's the only thought I could have that she would like make a joke like that offhand and then Jeremy thought I think he was being funny by bringing it up again to Clay but then Clay was like that's weird and Andy was like that's weird and then Jeremy was like oh no it's weird now I don't know how to diffuse this or at least that was my read on it yeah I feel like I didn't really get a read on either one of them until they were all together on their honeymoon or whatever um but Jeremy is very childish and I feel like when there's a lack of immediate validation or affirmation or like connection, um, he plays it up more. Like he's like, I'm not getting attention. You're not giggling at, at me. I'm not getting a loving glance. I'm going to like try to like be a clown or like it just he, he seems like a little child who's in trouble all the time. So he's like trying to be cute. Um, and that really turns me off. Laura, I have very little to say about and very little in my notes, except for that my partner just kept referring to her as wine mom, um, that this like caricature of a wine mom, I don't think she has kids. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's just that we didn't see her or maybe she's like a fifth line or something, but she just wine mom feels very, very fitting. I keep thinking about the moment where um, she found out that Jimmy told Chelsea, I love you. I think that's what happened. And Laura walked over to Jess in the women's quarters or whatever and was like, you need to leave. Just trust me. You need to leave. And like, first of all, kind of gross behavior in general. Second of all, she had a weird little smirk on her face the whole time that that was happening. Like she liked that. And I don't know, like my first thought is maybe that's like a desire transference type of thing or something, maybe guilt transference. I don't know. There was just like a weird feeling of like she likes being a player in this game. And that's something she's thinking about more than actually considering the feelings of the people involved. Like she just inserted herself in some weird way. And that has nothing to do with her dynamic with Jeremy necessarily, but it's like the thing I think about when I, when I think of her. That just had a weird edge to it for me. I think it does have something to do with the dynamic because that's kind of how she is with him too. Like, I think that in that particular moment where she ran over and told Jess, like, you need to leave right now. Yeah, like, it's so mean <laughs> and unnecessary and not her business and not her whatever to get involved in. Um, but I, I, I felt her in that moment feeling like she's saving someone 
she's like rescuing them. And so I think that she, she was thinking about herself as a rescuer and not thinking about anything else. And like, um, I think that my read on the energy, energy dynamic between Laura and Jeremy is like that Jeremy is in their dynamic. Jeremy is a little boy and he chose either his mom or his grandma, both whom he mentions quite a bit. And he mentions like, oh, I'm from this like big Italian family. And so I think it's like a little bit of a cultural thing. I think it's a um, familial thing for him. I think it was a very familiar feeling to be with Laura. And I think that is why he ultimately chose her. And I think she's really mean to him, but he's used to that and he's used to diffusing it and being the clown in order to like as a defense mechanism. And um, because she, and then for Laura, she has extremely high anxiety and she, um, I think she mentioned in the pods, like the thing that turned her on, the only thing that turned her on was like having, he had like two robot vacuums or something. And I'm like, it's like a caricature, I think. It's like this extreme caricature of what people, like, say a Virgo is like. I'm a Virgo. So, like, I get it. But it's like a Virgo gone wrong, where they're, like, they're not okay. (laughs) They're, like, super high anxiety, super, like, fixated, hyper-fixated, hyper... just like hyper aware of everything that's wrong and just, again, just spewing it out at anyone and everyone um, who's around. Also, this goes with the wine mom comment, um, has an idea of what marriage should be. We'll find everything that's wrong because nothing's ever going to meet that expectation, that fantasy, that thing that she has in her head. Um, and because she's hyper fixated on problems, um, and never really taking responsibility for the harm she's causing or just the chaos she's causing, I think it's going to get pretty bad between them because he's going to rebel against his mommy or his grandma eventually. (laughs) Yeah. I think he's like not really there, you know, like I don't, I think he's like fine. It's how I feel about him. I like my notes on them say I I don't really trust either of them, but I guess I'm starting to trust Jeremy a little bit more because he seems genuine, but he's genuine in this kind of like flat way. Um and sh- yeah, I agree with everything you said Amanda, especially about the like hyperfixation on the problems. Like she's like v- unchecked Virgo without any balance of the Pisces side where she can't see beyond like Virgo, I like to call the ultimate optimist because most people call Virgos pessimists. But I see this like natural optimism in the Virgo. It wants to correct because it knows something better is right, just right there. But when that's unchecked without the like unconditional love that is Pisces and the understanding that we're not really in control that is Pisces, that gets so intense. Also, just noting, I retained none of the info about Jeremy and his mom and grandma and Italian family. So I think he must just bore me. So I'm not going to say anything else about them. I think that they're playing out this weird, like, grumpy sunshine trope of, like, she's so grumpy and, like, never going to be happy. And so he's just going to kind of keep trying to play, play, play. And I feel like he gets little smiles out of her right now. But 
I don't think that's going to keep happening. I think it's just going to get annoying. <laughs> kind of a throwback to who was it from last season? Um, Mira, My- Myra, Miria, and Gus. Am I <laughs> those their names? The firefighter. Anybody remember from season five? The fire, really nice firefighter guy, and then the p- girl he kept calling princess because she was always complaining about everything. Myra or Mir, Miria, Mir. It feels a little bit like that dynamic. I'll, I'll have, maybe I'll correct it with last a season. No, actually, I think I checked out. It was for me. It was just a dumpster fire. I don't know. I did watch it. It's so bad. I'm having it's it's hitting a vague. It's ringing a bell. I just yeah. Footnote: This is Kelsey tuning back in during post production to say that I figured out who I was talking about when I said Gus and Miria, and I was talking about Gil and Mira. From a season of Married at First Sight. Different show. Onwards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any any final thoughts on Jeremy, Laura, that feel important to share? For me, I'm like, not likely it works out. That's all. But they, they were kind of like Jimmy and Chelsea to me. They just never felt like a real match to me. Like, I can't tap into a true connection there. So I'm just like not bought in. But sometimes the couples I feel that way about are the ones that stay together, which is absolutely not a testament to whether they should or not. But I notice that that happens a lot. <laughs> okay, final thoughts in general. Woof. That's all I have to say. Woof. Excited for what's going to happen just because the first six episodes never tell the full story and things can really take like a left turn on the, the honeymoons. So we have a lot, a lot in store. Yeah, it's funny. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I can't remember if this was before or after we started recording, but that I am feeling optimistic about a handful of the couples. But after discussing it, I'm like, the only ones I actually feel optimistic about, I feel optimistic potentially about Adie and Clay, who I feel like I understand their dynamic a little bit. And then I feel somewhat optimistic about Kenneth and Brittany and Amy and Johnny. But I know part of my optimism for them comes from just like, I, don't, I haven't seen anything in depth yet. So why not have optimism? So I feel a little more cynical after our conversation than I did before but I'm still excited to follow along all right thanks for joining me thanks for having me thank you thank you